yes, I like trees, but I also like economic prosperity. <laughs> and and you, can, you can like trees and economic prosperity. And, and if we don't set, again, that rudder, if we don't set a long-term signal that tells the private sector what to invest in over a 10, 20, 30, 50-year period, you build a coal plant. A coal plant's now a billion dollars plus. Are you going to build a coal plant with carbon capture or not? Are you going to build a nuclear How do you trade that off with a, a gas plant or a, a wind or a, a PV? If you knew there was a cap on carbon and that cap will ratchet down, and then 50 years from today there will be a price on carbon that will be ratcheting up, your business decision will be very different. Let me give you an example. Uh, I talked to the CEO of BP, Tony Hayward, yesterday. And uh, he said, we actually tell our engineers was we have to make investments over a 20-year period. Assume there's a $40 ton on carbon price. Do anything you want, but that assume that there will be that price on carbon. And how'd you pick $40, I ask. He says, well, we looked at it and we decided 10 and $20 wasn't high enough. They wouldn't have changed anything. $40 actually forced them to change and to actually rethink and to develop new technologies and new efficiencies. Now, why are they doing this? Well, they think number one is a reasonable probability it will be $40 in 20 years. Number two, they want to be a technology leader. Okay. Uh, BP used to stand for British Petroleum. <laughs> their headquarters in uh, in Britain still, but uh, they're an, um, you know they're a multinational. BP America is one of the biggest employers in the United States. But I think that forward thinking of companies like BP are essentially what the United States needs <coughs> in order to. But policy would help some of the not so forward le leaning companies also to start thinking in that in those terms. It's a, it's our future economic prosperity. Plain and simple. Dr. Chu, thank you for your time. My name is Adam Gromas. I go to the business school and the public service school at NYU. Um, and to preface, my background is in uh, fuel cells and uh, hydrogen from California. And I've been struggling for a while with the sort of dimension between low tech and no tech and, and technology. And I wondered if you could share your thoughts on the role of innovation in low tech and perhaps no tech either your own thoughts or, or what the Department of Energy is doing. I, to me, the, the, the interest is in innovation and in change. And there's so many opportunities up and down the scale. And as an engineer, I certainly recognize the great opportunities that technology offers, but it also offers other trade-offs. And I'm just curious about your thoughts. Well, there. you know, you said some magical words. I don't know if you intended to say them, but you must have. Uh, Low-tech innovation. Okay, there's innovation. The thing I just talked about, how do you mass produce retrofits? That's an innovative program to save money. Uh, different ways of financing and innovation. Uh, is it high tech? No, it's not high tech like the next generation of uh, graphic chips. Uh, it's, but it's, it's innovative in the way we think about things and do business. Okay. Uh, Look at, look at some of the real success stories in the United States, um, Amazon.com, eBay. Uh, these are innovation in using software, using computers uh, to allow shoppers to, you know, it is an amazing thing. You go, you know, a long time ago, before any of you were born, you go to a store and you hope that the store had something. Uh, but now you, you know you can go on 
the web, the internet, and no matter how weird the thing you want, <laughs> with a small customer base, uh, so what has happened is the web has allowed people to search for really goofy stuff uh, that, because there's this long tail in the distribution and, and there will be a small company out there that's willing to produce this stuff because they love it or whatever. It doesn't matter. And so the whole internet then is transforming the way we buy things, sell things. Okay, now, that had a backbone of innovation, but if you look at some of the techniques that are being used in this, it, you know, that actually existed a little bit before, or a bunch before, you actually, someone comes along and says, yeah, uh, you know, Kindle type, you know, e-printing, another very innovative idea. So, you know, we're really good at this stuff. And so, for me, to, to try to get people to go on a path to sustainable energy, to stop wasting energy, stop wasting money, uh, many of those technologies we have, and, and we are going to still further develop the technologies. The LEDs are still pretty expensive, but their price is going to come down. They're going to be coming down dramatically. The photovoltaics will be coming down. But it's also innovation in policy and an innovation in how to get the message out there. So this is not just for uh, the scientists and engineers. It, it, it's, uh, it's a much wider innovation. How do you make energy efficiency a social norm? How do you, you, know, how do, you do all the other things where we've got to move? The challenge is incredible. If you look at the time it took the United States and the world to transition from you know, 150 years ago, we were mostly using biofuel. It's called wood. We we're burning wood. <laughs> um, other places, dung. Other places, twigs. Uh, then we transitioned to coal. It took about 50, 80 years. Then as we learned to uh, drill for oil and, and natural gas, we started transitioning to this. These are cleaner fuels. Um, oil especially, very high-density energy, perfect for transportation, much better than coal. Um, and if you look at the time scale for these transitions, it took 50, 80 years. Now all of a sudden we've got to make another transition uh, and, and we need innovative ideas because it's not automatically cheaper, better. Okay? And that's a challenge. Hi, my name is Larissa Turkeltaub, and I'm a first-year business student at uh, Stern. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious about the um, link between workforce development and uh, energy efficiency. Uh, there's been, a, you know, a lot of talk about that. The you know, green economy is an example of the book that Van Jones wrote. And I'm wondering if you have any uh, opinions as to whether the opportunities for job creation have been overstated, whether jobs are indeed being created, um, what some best models are, for example, in terms of job training programs. Well, um, I think, I think uh, in terms of energy, I believe that the creation of jobs in the near term and the long term uh, are fundamentally not overstated. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we're going to have a need for a half a century. Uh, we, we're going to have to uh, turn, we have 130 million homes in the United States. Uh, probably 100 million of those homes were not built to good standards. Uh, some states don't even have building standards for homes in terms of insulation, energy standards. Uh, so one has to retrofit those homes. Um, that's an incredible demand. 
that will create jobs. One will have to, we have a lot of old plants, power plants, particularly coal plants that are being held together with Band-Aids uh, but if, that have been grandfathered in so they don't uh, actually uh, satisfy the Clean Air Act in the early 90s of the Sox and Knox. But they're also big mercury polluters and all these other things. And, and so those eventually, because of the higher standards, that will come down the line for a particular <laughs> matter of mercury, uh, which is now a big problem in the U.S. Uh, you know, we're going to have to close down, those down. Uh, installing new forms of electricity generation, clean, reliable generation in terms of renewables, nuclear, very high efficiency coal ultimately with uh, carbon capture. That's a demand that will create jobs, okay? It, and so I, I think if you think about what the country and what the world will need in order to redo our infrastructure and to swap out old polluting things with new things is a genuine demand, which by the way fits beautifully into the fact that the productivity in the United States is ever increasing. By productivity, I simply mean you need fewer workers the factories, uh, manufacturers have become much more efficient. The agricultural community, community has seen this. They were the first ones, uh, but they're still increasingly more efficient. The amount of yield per acre of corn in the U.S. since 1930 has grown up seven to eightfold. More corn per acre. Far fewer farmers are needed because you have modern tractors. In fact, now we have tractors that navigate by GPS. Right, so so uh, farm productivity has increased tremendously. Factory uh, productivity has in everything has increased. Product. So then we have a bit of a problem because here you have all this productivity, you can create wealth, um, and you don't need the workers. Well, if you don't need the workers, this is a an unstable situation. And China has it in spades. Uh, they have over 800 million farmers, and then within a decade, one and a half decades. They don't have jobs for 500, at minimum 300 million farmers because of the productivity, the modernization, the mechanization. So they have one United States worth of population that they have to find meaningful jobs for. Okay? Huge opportunity, and boy, they better build those buildings to house those people very efficiently because, because it's in their best interest to consume as little energy as possible for po local pollution's sake, for, for importing energy's sake, for all these things. So, so again, th that's why there's such incredible market in China. Uh, and, they, and that's why they realize that they can use that to, to create an, an industry powerhouse and in developing inefficient technologies as well as new technologies. Okay, so, so I think um, it's a real demand of a real problem that has to be solved, and this is a good thing because they are meaningful jobs. So I, I think uh, I, you just see the tip of the iceberg. You, you know, there's a lot of discussion near term whether Recovery Act money and weatherization has been getting out there fast enough, things like that. But let's step back and say what's really at work here is we, you know, and and this is why sadly we have such high unemployment, even though we had an incredible increase in the. Uh, Increase in the GDP in the last quarter, I think it's the highest. If Larry's summers is somewhere, he will know the exact number, but you can ask him that. Uh, but I think it's the highest growth in seven or eight years, and he'll not like me because I'm eating this to his time. But uh, 
uh, but the employment's lagging because the productivity has increased so much. Okay, I, I think um, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a little guilty. Is Larry out there? Actually, we're going to go to lunch, and he'll speak to us at lunch. Ah, okay. Well, one last question, and then. Hi, my name is Johnny, and I'm at the Kennedy School. Uh, and I just helped build a company in Silicon Valley that uh, directly is sort of addressing sort of group purchasing programs on things like solar panels and negotiating at the, the community level uh, group bulk discounts um, and designing sort of gaming structures essentially to offer rewards for people. Um, uh, and the company that we started is called One Block Off the Grid. Um, and uh, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's exactly what I was talking about yes. with uh, retrofitting homes. So, and I mean, it's you know, you can start with big ticket green items, and you can work your way down, sort of through in achieving economies of scale. But um, you know, uh, last fall, for example, we were sort of we were wondering, you know, how would we, how would a how would a five million dollar startup in Silicon Valley um, sort of reach out to the to your department and um, you know uh, fill out a two hundred page application um, to sort of take advantage of of um, you know this opportunity out there. I mean, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done on sort of how do you how do you actually connect the communities because the startups and the, the companies are out there, uh, and it's going to take tons of them, thousands of them. You know, it's there's no silver bullet solution for one big corporation who's going to do right. this. Um, you know how, you know, tell me a little bit more about how you're actually going to uh, uh, achieve this sort of. Uh, new, new sort of way of people doing business, and I'll, I'll say my last boss was the co-founder of eBay, and so it's uh, that thinking about uh, the long tail in, in communities and, and consumers and grouping them is, uh, is sort of where my background is. Okay, um, I think you know this is this is how do you create policies that make it the uh, utility companies friendly to so when you hook up a block that they will take the electricity. We also need to develop the type of grid that can manage these two-way flows because it's going to get uh, more and more of a technical challenge when your PV is what? 1%, a fraction of 1% of the electricity generation in the U.S. today. Uh, imagine it being 20% and clouds will over. Uh, uh, there will be an immediate blackout unless we have a very smart grid that can port energy from long distances where there may not be clouds. Um, in fact, most people don't realize when you know the, the people very gung ho on renewables don't realize that once you're at 20, 30 percent renewables that vary, and the wind can turn off, or the clouds can roll by, that you still have to begin to keep boilers hot using fossil fuel, okay, to avoid the blackout. So what we're doing is saying, okay, what what can we do on mass storage? pumped hydro storage, compressed air storage, and unify with a, a much smarter grid. What we can do with local energy storage, whether in electric vehicles in your home or a more commercial scale, but still small scale, but ones that can serve, store energy on a building for PV or wind locally in that building alone. Uh, all these issues are still unsolved. Um, the hookup issue, I mean, it, depending on where you come from, is where you have varying degrees of friendliness by the people who <laughs> uh, run the transmission distribution system. And so this is, again, something where uh, we have to look at how the federal government can both develop the technology but encourage people to, to allow hookups as they increase, which is, I think, your question? Yeah. Okay. 
All right, well, look, I, I've got to go. Thank you for being so patient, and I apologize for being a little late. <laughs>